This is the Green Street News. Patty and Doug Wood and our network of experts keeping you up to date every week on the environmental health issues that can impact your life. Welcome back. The issue of plastic pollution. Not only the litter that plastic creates around our world and especially in our oceans, but the incredible toxic load of chemicals that are contained in plastic and released into the environment when plastic degrades, that issue is finally rising to the top of the national debate over what our future is going to look like. Today on Green Street News, you'll hear from one of the nation's top experts about what is being done at the state level to fix the problem. That story and the week's environmental headlines all coming up on this edition of Green Street News. Stay with us. Okay, Patty, so what happened in the world of environmental health this week? Okay, so the first one is from EIN Presswire. Environment and Human Health has a new publication calling for providing air conditioning to the underserved. Hmm. More people die from heat than any other extreme weather events. An estimated 1,300 deaths per year in the United States are due to extreme heat. There are 6,512 emergency department visits and an average of 9,235 people hospitalized in the U.S. from extreme heat. So who are the most vulnerable to these heat episodes? Populations with lower incomes face 40% higher exposure to heat waves than people with higher incomes. Poor neighborhoods and many neighborhoods of color tend to have less tree canopy coverage, mm -hmm. more asphalt streets, and greater building density, all of which adds and retains heat. Some densely populated urban areas have been measured to be as much as 22 degrees Fahrenheit hotter than its suburban counterparts. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing statistic. Yeah. The underserved are far less likely to own or use air conditioning because of cost barriers, and this fact also puts them at great risk from extreme heat. New York City has a Home Energy Assistant Program, also referred to as HEAP, H-E-A-P, which is a federally funded program that provides financial assistance for the cost of air conditioning units or fans. However, New York found many never used the air conditioners because utility bill costs were not included, which is why it is so important to provide funds for the electricity costs as well. The rest of the country must follow New York City's lead and get air conditioning to the underserved if we are to protect human health. This problem is only going to get worse, you know. I mean, yes, I mean, in Los Angeles last summer, there were quite a few deaths because of heat. people overheating in yeah. these underserved communities where there's no air conditioning, there was no tree cover, there was a lot of asphalt and sidewalks and no parks, no place to escape, you know, yeah. from that heat. Yeah. Really important stuff. Okay. What yeah. else? Okay, and this is um, published in The Guardian, written by Tom Perkins, and the title is U.S. Food Pesticides Contaminated with Toxic Forever Chemicals. Some of the United States' most widely used food pesticides are contaminated with potentially dangerous levels of toxic PFAS, or forever chemicals. A new testing of the products finds. Okay, wait a minute. Are we saying that the pesticides, which are toxic, are contaminated with an, something they else that's toxic? also have PFAS in them. The Environmental Protection Agency has previously been silent on PFAS in food pesticides, even as it found the chemicals in non-food crop products. The potential for millions of acres of contaminated food cropland demands swifter and stronger regulatory action, the paper's authors say. 
Wow. Nathan Donnelly, Environmental Health Science Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, which co-authored the study, says, quote, I can't imagine anything that could make these products any more dangerous than they already are. But apparently my imagination isn't big enough. (laughs) The EPA has to take control of the situation and remove pesticide products that are contaminated with these extremely dangerous persistent chemicals. PFAS are a class of about 15,000 chemicals, often used to make thousands of consumer products across dozens of industries resist water, stains, and heat. The chemicals are ubiquitous and linked at low levels of exposure to cancer, thyroid disease, kidney dysfunction, birth defects, autoimmune disease, and other serious health problems. They are called forever chemicals because they do not naturally degrade. After conducting its own pesticide testing, the EPA concluded in early 2021 the chemicals were leaching from plastic containers in which they were stored and said the contamination was limited to pesticides used as mosquitoicides. The EPA issued an open letter to the industry reminding it that PFAS can leach and asking companies to alert it if they were adding PFAS. Hmm. Okay. In a statement, the EPA said it has, quote, taken significant scientific, regulatory, and enforcement actions to address this issue and will continue to take such actions. However, it did not say it would halt sales of the pesticides while it investigates. Kyla Bennett said the EPA is, quote, missing in action. The fact that we are likely spraying pesticides with PFAS on food at a time when EPA acknowledges that there is no safe level of some of these chemicals is absolutely nonsensical. You know, I don't think we've had a show in the past six months where we haven't talked about PFAS. And every week it's another source, another story about some other way that PFAS is getting into our environment. It's just unbelievable. Well, not just into our environment, but once it's in the environment, it's getting into our bodies. I mean, we're talking about PFAS in contact lenses. We're talking about PFAS in our drinking water, in our food we know it's in plastic. Yeah. We know it's in all this food packaging that's designed to be stain and water resistant. We're going to be it's talking. in our clothing, especially clothing that's, you know, outerwear that kids wear constantly. It's tough. It is it, this is one of the biggest chemical exposures that humans have ever had. Yeah. And these chemicals are extremely dangerous. So you have another story, I think. Yes, I have one more. It's also about a new study, and the title is Toxic Exposures Accumulate in More Than 100 Categories of Consumer Products. This is from Environmental Health News, written by Tatum McConnell. Products used at home and in the workplace frequently contain toxic chemicals that are linked to reproductive and developmental harms and cancers, according to a new study published in Environmental Science and Technology. In the home, general cleaners, laundry detergent, dishwashing soap, and nail coatings had the largest number of toxic chemicals present. Adhesives, auto care products, cleaners, and lubricants rose to the top of concerning workplace exposures. Many known toxic chemicals could be found in use across these categories, meaning people could experience exposures from multiple sources. Researchers hope these findings will help prioritize a move away from harmful chemicals people are repeatedly exposed to and reformulation of products with safer alternatives. Product labels are not required to include all chemicals present and their quantities, so researchers turn to a database of chemical emissions from consumer products maintained by the California Air Resources Board. 
The board collects ingredient information from manufacturers of products sold in the state and estimates the total emissions from the products to monitor their contributions to smog. The database includes only volatile organic compounds, one type of toxic chemicals regulated by California, so other kinds of chemicals weren't considered in the study. Claudia Polsky, director of the Environmental Law Clinic at the University of California, Berkeley, and an author on the study said, quote, we were able to point to several chemicals that are in widespread use and in many cases are used for functions that are not essential. Exposures to toxic chemicals don't fall evenly on the population, the study points out. People who work as janitors, nail technicians, auto mechanics, hairdressers, and more face high workplace exposure to chemicals they have very little control over. Products that can contain many toxics include skin lighteners and hair relaxers are marketed to people of color. Polsky said, quote, this really shows the poverty of the protect yourself through wise purchasing narrative. Instead, she encourages political mobilization to address widespread exposures. Our study shows that these things are in vast numbers of products across vast categories that people use every day. When are we going to stop talking about chemical exposures? How they cause reproductive harm, cancers, neurological impacts, asthma. It's very, very disheartening yeah. that these chemical manufacturers are not properly regulated by these agencies that were set up to protect public And health. yet, you know, we advertise them on TV. You walk into a store and there's all these products on oh, the yeah. shelf and everybody thinks, well, they must be okay because the government wouldn't let you buy that them. That is the most common response. Sure. When you talk about this to a group or on the radio show, people call and say, well, if they're, if they're on the shelf, then, you know, they must be okay because the government wouldn't allow, wouldn't allow us to be exposed to these toxic chemicals. Yeah. Wow. That's a myth. Sure is. All right. Thanks, Patty. Yep. We are in the age of plastic. It pervades all aspects of our society. We wear plastic clothes, sleep on plastic sheets, brush our teeth with plastic toothbrushes, type on plastic keyboards, drink and eat food from plastic containers, and we buy stuff, lots of stuff that comes packaged in plastic. Next time you're in a grocery store, take a close look around you and try to find something that's not somehow packaged in plastic. Our produce comes shrink-wrapped in plastic. Our apples and potatoes come in plastic bags. Juice and yogurt containers are all plastic. Okay, that box of cereal may be made of paper, but inside the contents are wrapped in plastic. The stuff we buy online comes to us wrapped in plastic. Sometimes there's even more plastic than product. Electronics come cushioned in styrofoam. They're power cords and batteries encased in plastic. Even our vitamins come in plastic containers with plastic tops. Plastic packaging is a giant problem. Keep in mind, this is all stuff that gets thrown away almost as soon as we get to the thing we want. And where does it go? It goes into our environment. And who's going to pay to clean up the environment? You are. I am. We all are. Maybe it's time for people who make all this plastic packaging stuff to take a little responsibility for the mess they're creating and pay some or even all of the cost of cleaning it up. Extended producer responsibility is a terrible name for a really good concept. That's Judith Enk 
founder and president of Beyond Plastics, a nonprofit organization fighting plastic pollution. Judith is a former EPA administrator for Region 2. Companies that produce packaging should be the ones to have to pay to either recycle it or hopefully source reduce it, refill it, reuse it. The concept has been around for decades. It's been implemented in Europe and Canada. But those versions of extended producer responsibility really had one goal, and that is to collect money from packaging companies and then give the money to local governments to pay for recycling and disposal. That's your grandfather's extended producer responsibility program. We believe it needs to encompass much more. So while we definitely need companies that make packaging decisions, they're the ones who are deciding to put out all of this multi-material impossible to recycle plastic, let them pay to deal with it. So we need the fees to provide money to local governments, but we also need environmental standards for packaging, just like we have fuel efficiency standards for cars. So we make less packaging So we get the toxics out of packaging and by all means, do not allow for chemical recycling. That cannot be the alternative, but that's what the plastics industry is pushing here. So how would environmental standards for packaging actually work? Will it be based on how toxic your packaging is, what kind of materials you use, or something else? If the packaging is refillable, reusable, you don't pay a fee at all. And that little mom and pop company Coke recently announced that 25% of their beverages worldwide will be in refillable containers by 2030. That's good if you believe them, but Coke has made lots of environmental pledges that they don't honor. So we need a law to ensure that they honor that news release. Coke isn't the only company that's filling our world with single-use plastic, but it certainly is one of the biggest. The Coca-Cola empire includes Desani Water, Sprite, Minute Maid, Schweppes, and a host of other brands. Last year, Coke brought in a cool $25 billion in pure profit. Coca-Cola has a lot of plastic beverage bottles littering the globe. And so they really need to shift to refillables. And after they made that announcement, so did Pepsi. I'm not optimistic that they're going to honor that unless there's a law that makes them do it. And that's what uh, this bill we're working on in Albany and around the nation, quite honestly, would do. So if you reduce packaging, you obviously don't have to pay because you're you know, getting rid of excess packaging. If you design it to be refillable or reusable, no fee. If you design packaging so it really can be recyclable, you pay a much more modest fee than if you were putting out something that you can't recycle. Here's the important thing. I'm a young packaging engineer. I have a great education. I was just hired by Mars Candy or Procter & Gamble. When I design packaging today, I try to make sure it's attractive, that it's functional. I don't factor in what happens to it after the consumer buys it. We need those packaging designers to have skin in the game. And so if their company has to pay a fee based on the environmental sustainability or lack thereof of their packaging, suddenly we're going to see 
source reduced packaging. We're going to see more refillable. We're going to see innovation. And that's what's missing right now. There's an economic disconnect. Companies are flooding the environment with single use packaging that you can't reuse, you can't refill, you can't recycle. And they don't pay the cost. You and I pay the cost as taxpayers. So consumers are footing the bill for these giant food and beverage companies that make billions in profits, but don't want to spend any of it cleaning up the mess they create. Of course, as consumers, we can always make the choice not to buy things that come in plastic. Food co-ops offer one way to buy things in bulk and transport them back home in paper and store them in glass as we do. But, says Judith Inc., supermarkets don't often let you choose anything but plastic. We have no choice when we go to the supermarket. I am so careful to try to avoid plastic when I go to a supermarket. It's impossible. My choice has been taken away from me. And so you like to think that the power of the consumer will, you know, win the day. But someone behind the curtain has decided without our input that we're going to have mostly single-use plastic packaging in American supermarkets. And we never got to vote on that. We need to mainstream this idea. We don't want it to go the way of organic food, where you only can get organic food if you're willing to pay more money for it. Everyone should be entitled to organic food. It's healthier for us. So when it comes to plastic, we need mainstream supermarkets to reduce their use of plastic so we have a chance as consumers. And I think the only way they're going to do that is if we adopt a law that requires this. It's not happening on their own. In fact, according to the World Economic Forum, plastic production is expected to double in the next 20 years. Can you imagine all of that environmental and health damage during production in places like Louisiana, Texas, Pennsylvania, Ohio, the fact that most plastics are not recyclable, plastic only achieves a five to 6% recycling rate. The fact that plastic production is the plan B for the fossil fuel industry. Uh, we're finally getting a little bit of progress on renewables and electric vehicles. And so the plastics industry and the fossil fuel industry have teamed up to make plastics the next growth industry for fossil fuel with enormous climate change implications. All of the toxics concerns with eating food and beverages from plastics, all of those factors, and yet the industry is planning to double plastic production. We can't let that happen. And that's why bills like the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Act introduced in the New York State Legislature is so vitally important because it would require companies to reduce packaging by 50% over the next 10 to 12 years. That will transform what we see in our stores. It'll unleash innovation, it'll be good for the environment, and it will save massive amounts of tax dollars. Big cities spend a lot of tax dollars dealing with their solid waste, and a lot of that waste is made up of plastic packaging. Take New York City, for example. If you put your recyclables out on the curb, New York City Department of Sanitation has to collect the recyclables. 
They have to get it processed. They have to find a market. There's a lot of transportation. It's expensive. Now, if we do reduction, refill and reuse, that's a massive amount of material that the sanitation department never has to touch. And that'll result in tremendous cost savings. This is really important for New York City taxpayers because there are no landfills and no incinerators in the city of New York. So New York's waste is trucked to upstate New York to the Finger Lakes region, where it goes to multiple big mega landfills contaminating areas in the Finger Lakes, or it's sent over to Newark, New Jersey, where it's burned at the Covanta garbage incinerator in the ironbound section of Newark. New York City taxpayers in 2021 alone paid $426 million to export waste to other communities. So if that's not an incentive to reduce waste and excess packaging, I don't know what is. But very few people in government know that number. And so if you don't care about the environment, pass this legislation to save tax dollars. Anyone who watches television or videos on YouTube has seen the advertisements with the smiling beverage people dancing around, talking about how they want every bottle back. We asked you to think what went through her mind when she saw those ads. It's a lie. And in fact, a National Advertising Association told American Beverage, the trade association for Coke and Pepsi, that they have to stop running that ad the way it is. And we also have a really fun claymation video on our website, beyondplastics.org, where we make fun of the claim every bottle back. It's just not true, but the plastics industry and their cousins in the chemical and fossil fuel industry have spent millions of dollars over the last few decades trying to get people to think if you just put your plastic in the recycling bin, you have nothing to worry about. You can keep buying more and more single-use plastic. But the reality is, unlike other material, plastic recycling is only 5 to 6%. It's abysmal. It has never even gotten to double digits in the United States. And so the every bottle back and the plastics PR, it's just marketing and it doesn't solve the problem. Judith Inc. has been involved in protecting the environment for many years and from two perspectives, from the government perspective and from the nonprofit advocate perspective. And she's been battling the plastics lobby for as long as she can remember. For years, when I would show up at a city council meeting and the mayor or the city council, for instance, were thinking about banning plastic bags or banning polystyrene foam, the plastics lobbyists, um, a really fun group, by the way, humorless, they would show up and say, don't ban plastic bags, we can recycle them. Turned out not to be true. Most plastic bags don't get recycled. And I just want to spend a minute explaining why. It's because there are so many different types of plastics, thousands of toxic chemicals in different types of plastics, many, many different colors. So you can't take like the bright orange hard plastic detergent bottle that you use for your laundry and the clear squeezable ketchup bottle in your refrigerator. You can't recycle those two together. It's not like recycling cardboard or aluminum or glass. So 
the plastics industry has known for years, they know better than anyone, that fundamentally plastics cannot achieve a high recycling rate. Couple exceptions in bottleable states like New York and Massachusetts and Connecticut, the plastic is kept separate and clean. And those PET plastic bottles do get recycled more than any other type of plastic. So you're, you're at the city council meeting supporting a bill to ban polystyrene foam or plastic bags or straws upon request. Plastic industry says, don't ban it, recycle it. A lot of policymakers now understand that that was a lie, that the plastics lobbyists were lying to them, directly lying to them. So now the marketing campaign is something called chemical recycling or advanced recycling. They keep changing the name, but basically it's heating plastic to a very high temperature. It's an attempt to make fossil fuel the last thing we need. And that hasn't worked out. For instance, there's a facility at an oil refinery in Mississippi. The risk assessment in this Mississippi community is one in four cancer deaths. We thought it was a typo when we first saw that, but Sharon Lerner, a very capable reporter at ProPublica did a story documenting this. So now you have the plastics industry saying, well, maybe not plastic to fuel the so-called plastic to plastic, as Doug mentioned, every bottle back. Well, that's hysterical. They've been trying to, they've been trying that since the 80s. And the way to think about this is let's say you just baked a cake. What they're trying to do is get the egg, the flour, and the sugar back from the baked cake. It's not happening. So what are we going to do about the plastic problem? How are we going to find reasonable alternatives for all the ways we use plastic? And how long is that going to take? Judith Ink is not a patient woman. We don't have time for misleading news releases. We don't have time for half measures. People are being poisoned who live near petrochemical facilities. We're turning our ocean into a watery landfill with massive amounts of plastic entering the ocean every year due to plastic litter. Microplastics have been found in our drinking water, in our air, and then not surprisingly in human blood, in our lungs, in the human placenta on both the fetal side and the maternal side of the placenta, and in breast milk. Our babies are being born pre-polluted. We don't know exactly what this means for our health, but I'm willing to go out on a limb and say nothing good. Having microplastics in your GI system, having microplastics in your blood, knowing that plastics are made from petroleum and toxic chemicals cannot be good for us. What's really worrisome to me is legislative bodies lean toward half measures. Whenever a lawmaker says to me, well, if no one is happy on either side, that means, you know, we struck the right compromise. No, you didn't. You just caved to political pressure. We have to solve the problem. And just as we see not enough progress on climate change, um, 
we're not seeing the progress on plastic. And what's different about climate change, even though it's obviously linked to plastic production, is a lot of people, they like a warm winter. A lot of people think, oh, this isn't so bad because they're not the ones living with sea level rise and intense heat and more intense hurricanes. The thing about plastic pollution is the evidence is everywhere. This time of year, look up in the tree, you're going to see plastic um, bags in, in trees, even though New York has banned plastic bags. Walk through the city of New York and look down and you will see vaping uh, devices from e-cigarettes. You will see electronic waste all over city sidewalks because there are a lot of e-cigarette devices that have little batteries in them. All of that stuff, whenever it rains, gets washed into the storm sewer, into the East River or the Hudson River, the Bronx River, and then eventually some of it gets into the ocean. And that's why uh, marine scientists tell us that by 2030, unless we change, for every three pounds of fish in the ocean, there will be one pound of plastic. And it's not big chunks of plastic, it's microplastics. That is gutting. That is like sound the alarm material. That's why we need strong bills adopted in Albany and not half measures. And certainly nothing that promotes uh, the burning of plastics to produce new plastic or fossil fuel. Judith Inc., founder and president of nonprofit Beyond Plastics. You can learn more about the organization and its mission at beyondplastics.org. If you live in New York State and want to support state legislation that will require producers to take some responsibility for their packaging, you can call or write your state legislator and tell them to support the Better Bottle Bill and the EPR Bill. That's EPR for Extended Producer Responsibility. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street News. Special thanks to our guest, Judith Inc., our news editor, Ellen Weiniger, our engineer, Josh Lyman, our social media director, Donna Moss, our assistant producer, Toby Ziegler, and our marketing director, C.J. Craig. I'm Doug Wood. Patty and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Street News. Thanks for listening. <laughs>